0: Our first principle that we talked about in dreaming when you're broken. By the way, um, I don't have my cell phone with me. It's in my office. If y'all can throw the uh, church app on the screen, if y'all have that handy. Uh, I want to take a minute and make a plug for our church app. How many has it on your smartphone? Y'all been using it? Y'all refer to it some? Um, Actually... Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, having it on my phone, it's on my iPad. And um, there's several components to it that that I've enjoyed. First of all, from our our Grace Church app, um, and those of you, most of you have seen it and, and have probably used it, but I just want to plug it for here a minute. Uh, when you download it, you go to iTunes, the iStore, and you just type in Grace Church of Central and it'll pull it up and you can download it on your smartphone. And if you have an iPad, it'll transfer to that and what have you. I guess if you have an Apple computer, it'll probably transfer to that to that as well. But anyway, however it works. But on our app, uh, and I've enjoyed this when I'm driving, when I'm at home in, in my office, uh, you can access our, our speakers real easy. Um, Brother Weiser that was here Sunday morning, his message will be back on. Several people have commented that they want to go listen to that again. If you weren't here Sunday, I'll plead with you to go listen to that message. It was lengthy, and some of you probably thought it was boring. But the content of that message is so amazingly incredible. Every parent needs to listen to that message. The transferring of spirits. And, um, but anyway, there's an app where you can go and, and listen to all, this, all the all the stuff that's been recorded here at this church. You can listen to it uh, in your leisure. You can listen to it in your car and what have you. In addition to that, there's a Bible reading app that actually you just push the button and you can listen. You don't have to read. You can listen. And I have really enjoyed that. And, and, and since we've had our church app, I'll, I'll be sitting in my office doing some work and I'll just put that play in. And it seems like it's just like that. And the, the voice cuts off because that daily portion of Bible reading is, is over. And I'm like, boy, that was quick. But, I mean, you can listen to it in your car. We'll ask you folks to utilize that and spread the word. If somebody says, hey, I'd like to have a copy of that sermon from y'all's church, can y'all make me a CD? Say, no, 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 we don't do that. Download our app on your phone. And uh, then you can have all of them for free. And that's pretty cool, so uh, help us promote it, help us promote the church, put the window stickers on your car, Uh, help us promote, we want to promote Grace, And, um, and I'm real excited as a matter of fact, we were asked to host the mayor's prayer breakfast in August, and this is interesting, it's newly elected Mayor Junior Shelton, the first church service he visited as mayor was Grace. His first prayer breakfast will be at Grace, and I think that's interesting. We didn't plan it that way, but anyway, uh, he's excited about it. I'm excited about it. So uh, just plug in your church app, use it. That's what it's for. Help us promote it. We want to get word out about Grace. Thank the Lord. Okay, back to our Bible study. First principle we talked about was to realize that I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency. To do the wrong thing in my life is unmanageable. That's the first step in becoming a dreamer, even if you're broken. There's things you need to realize, transparency. Number two is hope. That Wednesday night, we had a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and God was ministered here in such a marvelous way, but that principle is to earnestly believe that God exists and that you matter to Him and that He has the power to help you. We have to understand that. Number three, we have to consciously decide to choose to commit all of our life, all of our life, every part of our life, and our will to Christ's care and control. The fourth principle we discussed was to be open, to be honest, to openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. This was our Bible study last Wednesday night. We ended, or Wednesday night before last, and We ended that Bible study by encouraging you to find someone you trust, that you can be open and transparent with, and people that will help you in your relationship with God. Tonight I want to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want you to notice that Jesus left this, the way he said it, is kind of an option. If you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness, I'll fill you up. But you have to come to me to do that. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to force it down your throat. You have to come to me, your own free will, your own choice, and I will do that if you'll be open to me. So our fifth principle is to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life. Voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Now, I'm not real crazy about that word defect, and I don't want to imply tonight that people have defects, that we're something's bad wrong with us or whatever. I couldn't find another word that that suited me, so I left it in there. So, I don't uh, mean to imply that there's something bad wrong with us, but everybody wants to be better. That's the point I want to make. We can all be better. Would everybody agree with that? We can all be better. And that's the point (coughs) that I'm here tonight to make. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible said, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to tell you the real reason I wanted to sing the song we sang tonight. and uh, We had a little bit of fun with with dreams come true and what have you. But I want everybody to understand tonight that there is still power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if there's anything we want to be and there's anything we want to do in him, he can make that happen. Does everybody believe that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in his blood. Makes that possible. So we all have hurts. We all have hurts that are hard to forget. And I'm going to do my best. I want to tie this to a sermon I preached here a couple of Sundays ago about the uh, spirit of infirmity. We all have hurts from the past. Everybody does. We have hurts that are hard to forget. Major things. Things that people have done to us. Things that people have said to us church people family everybody has some of this in your in the privacy of your mind and in the uh, bottom of your heart we have hang-ups that are hard to get rid of now here's the thing on hang-ups we'll all admit that we all have hurts but this is the way we dress hang-ups they have hang-ups not me they're the weird ones not me you know if that person wasn't in my life with all these weird hang-ups my life would be a whole lot better no we all have hang-ups everybody let's just be transparent and honest here tonight okay we're going to be open we all have hang-ups and then we all have habits hang-ups that are hard to get rid of and habits that are hard to overcome so it's not only god's will to redeem my soul for eternity but to also redeem my life on earth. Let me talk to you about redemption. People have a hard time understanding that word. Redemption, bottom line, is it doesn't matter what shape you're in when God finds you. When he redeems you in the sight of God, you are right back to what he always wanted when you're redeemed. It is a total and complete restoration in the mind of God. You're reconciled with him. You have been restored with him. Our mind is the problem. It's what lies between our ears. It kind of goes back to that we ain't 70 anymore attitude that Israel had when they were in Egypt. They could have walked out any they wanted, but their mind said, I can't. And there's a lot of people sitting here tonight that want to be better. I want to be better. I want a better marriage. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be better in everything that I do. But I can't, and that's what I'm going to address tonight. I'm here to tell you there's power in the blood. You can be delivered from anything that's happened to you in your past, done by anybody for any reason. You can be delivered from a spirit of infirmity. Everybody say amen. Amen. Our text tells us that the way we are transformed is by having our minds changed, by the renewing of your mind. It's the way we change. People who present the gospel, preachers especially, they always talk about give your heart to God, give your heart to God, get your heart right with God, get your heart right with God. Nobody really addresses the mind. But the New Testament actually addresses the mind more than it does the heart. It's easy to give your heart to God usually, but it's harder to change the brain. I've discovered a long time ago that people's minds are like concrete. It's all mixed up and permanently set. And, and we're going we're to delve into some of that tonight. If we don't finish tonight, we'll pick it up next Wednesday night. Unless I can think differently. Unless I learn how to think differently. I want everybody to listen. Unless I can think differently. And that takes, it's a learning process. You have to learn to think differently. When old thoughts come back in your head, you dismiss them. You willfully dismiss those thoughts and say, I'm not thinking like that today. You have to change the way you think. If you don't, then any changes you make in your life are only temporary. Because as we've all learned through the vehicle of New Year's resolutions, you'll revert back to what you were before. Everybody does. Because you don't change the way you think. You can only act differently for a while, but after a while, you're going to have to start changing the way you think, okay? And the Bible talks about the renewing of your mind. They are also changes that we make and just say, hey, this is what we're going to start doing. It's really an illusion because they're just an image that that you project instead of the reality of how you live. Let me begin tonight with that little bit of an introduction. Let me tell you where all of us come from. Let me explain to all of us here tonight. I don't want to bore you, but if you'll listen to this Bible study tonight, it can be life-changing. You can become a dreamer again. If you'll listen to it, if you'll absorb it and get your mind around it. Let me tell you where we all came from. Let me more specifically tell you where our character defects came from. Scholars would tell us that our character defects came from three different sources. Number one is biological, number two is sociological, and number three is theological. But let's make it a little bit easier. We came from three different sources, which are these chromosomes, circumstances, and choices. Those are the three basic components that make up who you are right now. Chromosomes, is one circumstances is the other and choices is the other let's talk about chromosomes your mother and father against their will and probably against yours contributed to you twenty three thousand of their chromosomes each does that help anybody answer some questions about why you are the way you are That ought to go a long ways right there now i know so you inherited some of their strengths and you inherited some of their weaknesses. You had no choice in the matter. None of us did. It's just the way it happened. You may have even inherited some physical defects from your parents and some emotional defects from your parents. So notice the screen. This explains... Your predisposition towards certain problems. This explains why you think the way you do towards certain things. This explains why you do certain things that you do. But it does not excuse your sin. You'll never stand before God and blame who you are on your mom and daddy. You work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling, even with those 46,000 chromosomes that your mom and daddy gave you. You just deal with it. You work it out. Okay. For instance, because of my parents, I may have a tendency to have a real hot temper. That doesn't excuse you to go out and kill somebody because you were mad at them. That don't excuse you from doing that. Is everybody with me? Y'all on the same page so far? Okay. I may have a tendency to be lazy, but that doesn't excuse you from not doing anything with your life. Huh? Okay. I may have a genetic tendency towards certain addictions, but that doesn't excuse me to go out and make the choice to become an addict. That's what chromosomes do. So starting off day one, when you suck in your first breath of air, you've got 46,000 chromosomes from your mom and daddy, whoever they were and wherever they are, pumping in your body. And they're going haywire, man. And you're just this little wobbly, one-hour-old, ten-minute-old infant, and you can't do squat. But mom and daddy is all up in you, man, and you, you don't even know it. Don't ask me to do that again. It made me kind of dizzy, actually. (laughs) So you need to understand chromosomes as a part of why you are who you are. Number two is your circumstances. If you were raised a certain way, you learned a lot of your ways of relating your preferences and your habits from your parents mainly and then other people but mainly your parents. I was, I was swept away uh, in light of this Bible study Monday uh, at Deidre's daddy's funeral. Uh, Deidre got up and spoke, and she, she did an amazing job under the circumstances. But she said this, that I don't really remember my daddy teaching me verbally a lot of things. I learned what I was supposed to do and not supposed to do from by the way my daddy lived. He lived it in front of me. So I didn't have to ask questions. I didn't have to ask ask for explanations. And there were times that I didn't always understand. But bottom line, she learned things from her dad. Most of what she learned from her dad, he never opened his mouth and taught her. He just lived it. These things can be a benefit to us, and they can be certainly a negative or a defect, if you will. You learn to respond in certain ways to cover yourself. You've learned to respond in certain ways on on how to handle hurt, on how to handle rejection. Your circumstances, all of your life, everything you've been surrounded with, all of your life has taught you some things. And it's taught you preferences and it's taught you how to apply your preferences to certain things. This is what I've learned pastoring in this area for the past 21 years. Is oftentimes pastor and this church is punished over what another church or another pastor did. Because when they're hurt and they're disillusioned, and church ain't supposed to be this way, I'm working with a couple right now, desperately trying to get them back in church. But they're hurt, and they're hurt bad. And I made that statement to them. Don't punish the next church for what the other church did. But it's a pattern of behavior that we feel like we have to manifest and we we have to excuse now here at Grace we're patient and tolerant almost to a fault. And and I'm thankful for that. But I want you to understand that after a while you have to bow up, square your shoulders, put your chin in there, and quit using these things for excuses. Everybody has chromosomes from your parents you wish you didn't have. That big old honker nose on the front of your face right now, you wish to goodness that your, your daddy had no part of your birth. Because of that big old fat nose you got. I'm looking around to see if anybody has one. I think I'm safe to use that as an illustration. <laughs> but you, 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 you can't let that dominate your life because you inherited things from your parents that you don't particularly like. And their circumstances in their life. There's things that's happened to us, but they don't have to control us all of our life. After a while, you, you have to reconcile yourself with what happened. Okay, it happened. But I'm not going to let it dominate me. It's a spirit of infirmity that I talked about a couple of Sundays ago. If you didn't listen to it, you need to go to our church app on your smartphone and listen to it. (laughs) So notice this. A lot of your character defects are simply self-defeating attempts to meet unmet needs. You can see that on the screen. A lot of your character, a lot of the issues that you struggle with, a lot of the things that you deal with in your life that that prohibit you, that holds you back, things that you can't get over, things you can't get past, this is what it does. It's self-defeating. You're shooting yourself in the foot, if you will. It's self-defeating attempts to meet unmet needs. So please listen. Everybody in this room was born with a legitimate need for respect. Everybody was. Nobody likes to be humiliated. Nobody likes to be embarrassed. Nobody likes to be degraded by anybody for any reason. One of my greatest moments of degradation is when I turned the light off in the men's restroom at the First Pentecostal Church on Victoria Drive when I was a kid. And my daddy just so happened to be that ever-present whatever. And he grabbed me by the arm and hauled me in that bathroom and beat the stew out of me. And I never did that again. But I was humiliated. I've seen parents do that. Even with small children, you'll humiliate your children in front of everybody. You'll chew them out. You'll let them have it. You'll, I've seen kids whipped and what have you. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Those things should be handled, in my opinion, in private. Because when they grow up, you let them grow up with, with small, low self-esteem, very little value, etc. I'm not saying don't discipline, but discipline appropriately. So everyone has a legitimate need for respect. But if you listen, 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 listen. If you don't get respect early in life, you will settle for attention. And the rest of your life, you become your favorite subject, and it's me, 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 and I'll do whatever I have to do to get attention. I heard a psychologist, psychiatrist one time talking to a person on the radio. It was one of these talk show things, <clears throat> and she called in, and she was crying, and she said, I'm tired of my husband beating me. She The, the counselor said, why don't you leave him? She said, because... I don't want to leave him because if I do, then I won't get any attention. So I'd rather have negative, hurtful, harmful attention than none at all. So everybody has a, a need to be respected. But if you don't get it, you'll settle for attention. And you'll figure out various ways to get it. So notice this. Y'all give me some latitude. I think I'll be okay. Um everyone has a legitimate need for love. Y'all agree with that? Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. But if you don't get love, you'll settle for sex. Our world is full of that. People aren't loved, but they'll do that in in in, in replacement to obtain some kind of emotional closeness with somebody everyone has a legitimate need for security but if you don't get security you'll settle for materialism for things to prove to yourself and to others that you truly are a worthwhile person so want y'all get your head around that everybody wants to be respected everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants security but if you don't get those things then I just mentioned the things that become a replacement to that. Does everybody understand? Y'all on board? So these are how circumstances can impact your life. Where I'm struggling here tonight, and I'm trying to go real slow, but where I'm struggling tonight is I don't want anybody else to apply this to anyone else in this room. I'm asking you to be honest. I'm asking you to be open. I did that last week. You've got to be open with God You've got to be open with yourself, and then there should be people in your life that you can be open and transparent with. But if you struggle and you don't feel like you're respected, then be honest with yourself and figure out why. And just getting attention doted on you all the time isn't the fix. Neither is a sexual appetite for love. There's a young girl that came to our church when it was in Baker a number of years ago. She's just a girl, a little girl. Her family moved away out of state, and I was mowing my grass one day at my house. And I turned off the moor and just had that intense feeling of eyes bearing down on me. Has Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, you just know someone's staring at you. I turned around and look and this girl was standing at my driveway gate. And I'm like, and I called her name. I'm like, what's up? She said, well, I just figured out where you lived and thought I'd come by and say hi. And I'm like, I thought y'all lived in blah, blah, blah state. Yeah, but I moved back. Well, now she's a grown woman. She's never been respected. She had been raped on numerous occasions by her stepbrother. She had been raped two or three times by other men. It's a long, horrible story. And the only way she could felt like she could fix it was to demand attention. And she would do anything for attention. And she wanted to be loved. And she couldn't get it from anybody. So she turned it the opposite, what I just said about that. And she told me standing at the gate. I said, well, what are you going to do the rest of your life, you think? Are you going to stay in the area, whatever? She said, no, I'll probably go. And she named another state. And she said, I'll probably be a porn star before it's over with. I hope I didn't hear anybody just laugh because that's not funny. It's a shipwrecked girl that from a child was never respected, was never loved, and never given security. Now, that's a major, that's on a major high scale of what I'm teaching tonight. But maybe a little lower down the, the chain, if you will, is a whole lot of us, and God wants to fix that. Right. God wants to fix it. The third thing that I mentioned tonight that helps, that contributes to who we become and what we are is choices. Everybody say, Choices. You know, one of the greatest gifts God gave the human race is choice, is the freedom to choose. You have nothing to do with your hair color, well, at birth. Um, <clears throat> you have nothing to do with your bone structure. There's people that's real tiny and petite that wish they were bigger, and there's people with a large bone structure that wish they were they could just swap bones with a petite person. Uh, we're born with things that we can't help, the color of your eyes and all of that. But there is one thing God gave you complete control over. He gave you the freedom to choose. So if you choose to do something long enough, it becomes a habit. If you keep repeating it long enough, it becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, you get stuck. And things you never intended... To develop in your life are created just because you chose at some point to do a certain thing long enough, and now it's become a habit. Notice the screen. Character defects are often positive qualities taken to an extreme over time because they were misused. Listen to Pastor here tonight. I. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm always ashamed to self-promote. But somehow or another, God has put in my spirit or whatever a little bit of an ability to look somebody in the eye and say you've got more potential than you know what to do with. You, you just, you're gifted, you have personality and whatever, and you're just throwing away. There's, there's actually someone here tonight that at least three people in this church have told me that this person possesses more raw talent, but you can't rein it in. You can't put a bit in the horse's mouth. It just won't do it. And it's frustrating. But this is what happens. As growing up up in, in whatever your circumstance was and with whatever chromosomes you possessed, in addition to that, you started developing certain trends and a certain lifestyle and starting to live in a certain pattern and what have you. And now you've reached a point where I just can't change that, Brother Murphy. Yes, you can. If you want to. You just have to have a want to. Everybody say amen. So, we've all heard this. If you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. If you sow a character, you'll reap a destiny. And that's how you become in your adult years, who you are, okay? So that brings us to this question. Then why is it so hard to change these things in my life that I don't like about me? Why is it so hard? Number one is because we've had them for so long. We're comfortable with it. We're okay with it. We've settled for it. I know I'm not living at my peak. I know I'm not living everything I should be living, but I've settled for less. Listen to me. Listen to me. If this can be edited out of the tape, then, then that would be fine with me if it can be, if it can't it's whatever. <clears throat> I'm the youngest of seven in my family. And I'm going to say this very carefully. My sister's sitting in the room, and I, 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 I'm very cognizant of that. But my daddy never owned a home. He was a byproduct of the Depression. And he was always terrified that the market was going to crash. And he said, I'm not going to lose my house. I'm just not going to do it. So he never owned a home in his life. He died at 56 years old, paying rent. And I think at that time it was about $85 a month. We lived in a small two-bedroom house in North Baton Rouge. And in my opinion, we grew up poor. We didn't know we were. We were very happy, very functional family. But we didn't have anything, man. And I developed an attitude that I struggle with to this day that everything everybody else has is better than mine. I just grew up that way. I would hear my dad say that all the time man, his car's da da da, and his car's da da da. I grew up that way. But I've taken the 46,000 chromosomes that they gave me, and growing up against the backdrop of Some oftentimes what I thought was very challenging circumstances as a child and then lost my dad when I was 16. I plummeted and I I staggered and I was weak on my feet, felt like a newborn giraffe for probably four or five years after that before I finally got a hold of myself. But I decided that it's not going to be like that for me. And I began to teach my kids, you be better than me. You be better than me. You be better than me. And I have come to a place and I say this with thankfulness and respect, and I'm only saying this in regards to this lesson, I'm telling everybody in this room, I don't care how you grew up, and I don't care what happened to you when you grew up. I care about it, but for the sake of this lesson. If you want to be better, and if you want to change, you can do it, if you want to. I'm a living, breathing example. And I want to tell you something else. I'm not one of these personality types that, that you make up your mind and that's it. I'm hard-headed. But I'm not that go-getter personality type. It took s- extreme discipline. I've never took, I never took medication to help me think clearly and to level me out and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not against it. We just didn't have it back then that I knew of. But I got a hold of life. And I did it the way I believe to this day God wanted me to do it. And I fought my chromosomes and my circumstances. And I've done my best to make the right choices. And God has blessed me with a home my sister would probably tell you that would blow my dad out of the water if he ever saw my house. Just couldn't believe it. Did any of his kids, and we all have nice homes. All the siblings have nice homes. But he would, just, he would never believe that his kids could do that because his life was so deficient materialistic-wise and so on. So I'm here to tell you, why is it so hard to change things that, that, you know, if we could get rid of some stuff, we could be so much better? You know why it's hard? It's because, bottom line, we've learned to settle. We've learned to cope. And we don't want to because it's just too much work to be better. But I decided a long time ago that I'm going to be the best I can be. And there's more folks here tonight that I'm happy about in this regard, you know Glenn Murphy. There's people here that attend this church, they know Glenn Murphy and they know where I've come from and they can testify. Never thought it would end up like that. If you want to, you can. Everybody got it? Here's what you need to understand. You can't change these negative things about you overnight. It took years for me. And I still work on it every day. I don't want to revert back. And I still, I I live in that retainer mode. You know these people that wear braces on their teeth? (coughs) When they take the braces off, you have to wear a retainer, Uh, usually at night when you're sleeping. It keeps your teeth from going back to where they were. And I've seen people that's gone through braces and have beautiful teeth and see them 20 years later and it's like they never wore them. Teeth went right back to where they were before. They didn't wear the retainer. So if you want to change and you want to be better, you want to be your best, you've got to wear the retainer. You establish a standard. You, you set a high watermark. This is what I'm going to be, and you wear that retainer every day. You strive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Okay. So it don't happen overnight, and that's why you're not going to lose them overnight. Many of the habits, patterns, and responses and what have you that we've developed during our childhood and, and adolescence and all of that, it takes a little while to, to change those things. They, they may not be comfortable, and, and they may even be self-defeating, but at least they're familiar. It's like an old pair of shoes. Maybe they're not the best for running, but they're comfortable, so you've had them so long that it's hard to let go. The second reason why it's hard to change is because you identify with yourself the way you are now. This is who I am. Listen. L- please listen. Many times we confuse our identity with our character defects. And we say, well, that's just who I am, or that's just the way I am. No, you're confused. You've confused your identity with these negative things you don't like about yourself. And so you take these things that you don't like about yourself and the ways things you'd like to do to be better, and you say, well, I can't change that because that's who I am. No, it ain't. You can make yourself into whatever you want to be. Again, I can do all things through Christ. You shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost. You'll be endued with power with the help of God. You can become whatever Christian you want to become. You can develop every gift God gave you to His fullest extent if you want to. Okay. So we say, well, I can't because... That's just the way I am, but you don't have to be that way. You can say, or or sometimes we say, that's just the way I am. You're associating your identity with your defeats. You're taking something bad that happened in your life at some point in the past and say, well, that's just the way I am, that's who I am. No, it's not. You're tying yourself to that, but that's not who you are. It's the people that are addicted to alcohol and alcoholic. They'll say, well, "That's just who I am." No, it's not. You have an addiction issue. If you get the addiction issue out of your life, you're a whole nother person. Does everybody understand that? It's easy. It's hard to do, and it takes discipline and it takes time. But it can be done. Okay. So complete this sentence in your mind. All of us just say, we say oftentimes. Well, it's just like me to do, and it's always something negative in that blank. I always say something I shouldn't say. I always do something I shouldn't do. I always go somewhere I shouldn't go. I, I, I'm just, uh, you know, I can never be that person. You know, you can say, I'm always, I'm just a workaholic, and I can't help it. Yeah, you can. Find you another job or tell you, boss, you're not working them hours anymore. Okay, that's not your identity. It don't have to be your identity. You don't have to. You, you, you say, well, it's just like me to be so undisciplined. Or it's just like me to worry. It's just like me to be passive. It's just like me to be a procrastinator. It's just like me to lose my temper. It's just like me to be depressed. It's just like me to be lonely. No, it's not. That's not your identity. You're associating yourself and you're making these things who you are. But really and truly, that's not who you are. It's a habit It's a pattern that you've taken into your life. You settle for it. You live with it. You cope with it. You deal with it the best you can, but that's not who you are. And if you stop that, then you're another person. When we do that, we're setting ourselves up. When you identify yourself with your character issues, when you... I don't want to use the word defect, but when you feel like you lack in character, when, when you identify yourself with where you lack, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You say, I'm always nervous when I get on an airplane. So you buy an airplane ticket to go somewhere and you get on the airplane, so what are you? Nervous is the answer to that question. I <clears throat> but you don't have to be that's not who you are that's you're just choosing to act a certain way but that's not necessarily who you are so you just end up saying well that's just who I am no it's not psychologists tell us that one of the reasons we can't change is that we're afraid so we say, well, if I let go of this, if I'm a worrier, if I'm always depressed, et cetera, will I still be me? Well, I think that's about the dumbest question on the planet. Yeah, you'll be you, but a better version. <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude or brash here tonight, but yeah, if you quit worrying and quit being depressed and quit sobbing and... Bad mouthing yourself, or well, what? Yeah, you quit that. Yeah, you're going to be a different person, a better person. People will like you more, respect you more, love you more. You'll feel more secure with yourself. Just trying to help people to dream. The third thing that contributes to this and why we can't change is because things about us that, that we're happy with or whatever. In our mind, there's a payoff somewhere. There's a payoff somewhere. Every character issue, every character lack has a payoff. So it may mask my pain. So if I'm acting a certain way, that's not really me. It's because I'm masking something else. I'm trying to hide something else from everybody. Um, If I change, then I lose my excuse to fail. If I change... I won't, I won't be able to allow myself to compensate for the guilt that I've lived under all my life. If I change, I won't get as much attention. If I change, I won't be able to control and manipulate people like I'm, I've been used to. Anytime a negative behavior is repeated, even though it's self-destructive, there's always a payoff somewhere, so we develop this mentality. We don't do things that don't get rewarded. I don't want to do anything. It's not going to get me something back out of it. So we're we're willing to trade that in. So in a weird sort of way, your character lacking works for you, and you subconsciously don't don't want to let yourself go of that payoff. And again, you're setting yourself up for repeated failure, and I need to hurry. The next thing that that keeps us from, from changing is Satan, the devil, just keeps me discouraged. Have you heard the old testimony? The devil has been on my back all week long, bless his holy name. That makes me just want to run out in the middle of our church parking lot and scream with all of my might. I don't know what that would do, but in my mind, it just makes me feel better when I hear stupid stuff like that. Satan is called the accuser, and he does his job well, and he constantly suggests negative thoughts. <coughs> He'll say, this will never work. You can't do it. No, sir, you can't do it. He'll say, who do you think you are anyway trying to be better? You know you're nothing. You know you can't ever amount to anything, so why even try? He'll remind you that you're stuck and it's hopeless, and he'll tell you that other people can change, but you can't, and don't even think about changing. The Bible says that the devil is a liar. So you've been comfortable to have a liar whispering in your ear all these years, and you believe it for some strange reason. But it's, it's, it's always, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay. So you say, Pastor, and I'm going to have to close. I'm not going to be able to finish this tonight. But how do I cooperate with God's change process? How, how do I cooperate with that? How do I submit to that? You know, Romans 12, 1, we read that, you know, that our body's a temple of the Holy Ghost and all that. How, how do I change? How do I cooperate with that? Paul tells me in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. My thoughts are the autopilot in my life. If you want to change your life, you've got to change the way you think. The Bible teaches that your thoughts determine your feelings, and your feelings Determine your actions. So imagine that you're in a boat on a huge lake with an autopilot that is set to go due east. You can grab the wheel and temporarily force the boat to go in the opposite direction. But as soon as you get tired of forcing it, you let go of the wheel. What is it going to do? It's going to head east again. That's what happens in our mind. And this is where you have to renew your mind. Sister Murphy will, will tell you, and I'll, I'll have to pick this up next week. But this is what I did. I was about 25 years old, I guess, and Marcus and Casey. Casey was maybe one, one and a half years old. And I got to where, and I've been very transparent with you folks, and, and, I, and I will be again tonight, but I got to where I hated myself. I hated who I was. I was moody, sarcastic, cruel, sarcastic sarcasm became a front for me and i realize that now it, it was it became a coping mechanism i don't care what you said to me there was a girl in our youth group and i've called her name most of you would know her and we walked up to a church door one time and i didn't particularly like the chick she was okay and i learned to deal with it and I'm, I'm talking teenage years back then and i just my best friend was crazy about this girl, and I never could see it. Still don't see it anyway. i got better quit talking too much. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> we came to the church door at the same time, and she said, if you were a gentleman, you would open the door for me. And I said, if you were a lady, I would open the door for you. That's how I was. Sheila Landry, you behave and keep your dumb mouth shut, okay? Well, she knows me. broke my microphone when I did that. That's how I was, and that's how I coped. Incredibly sarcastic. It was only a few years ago. Uh, my aunt and uncle that used to pastor in Cincinnati, I refer to them often, were here. And uh, it was about three or four years ago we were in this building, and their motor home was parked right out in front in our parking lot. And was walked in and visited with him and out of the clear blue, and I respect this man. And I told him, You can speak into my life anytime you want to, and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, You're way too sarcastic, and then he said, stop now. And hurt my feelings. I mean, I was in my early fifties. Like, I ain't a kid, man. Well, who do you think you are? Step out in the parking lot and I'll show you, you know. <laughs> but I took it to heart and I decided I would stop it. I like to tease, but you hear very little sarcasm. I was brutal, and I hated myself. This is what I did. When my kids were young, I was a draftsman back in the old days before CAD, and I uh, had been told by people, I saw somebody just a week or so ago, said, man, was a mistake when you got out of the business. It was a man that I told you offered me to go into business with him. I saw him, saturday in a restaurant hadn't seen him in years he said your lettering was just phenomenal and uh so i took some just high quality drafting papers called film mylar and i wrote in ink about six or eight things that i want to change about myself i just hated myself and this has got to change and i wrote that out at work and i brought it home and i taped it to the mirror that i dressed in front of every morning and every time I looked at that, I said, Today, I'm not gonna be that. I'm not gonna be that today. I remember driving home from work one time, I left work. Happy, as somebody used to attend this church, says happy as a lard. Lark is the right word, anyway. And um <laughs> said um I drove home. I was happy as could be when I left work. I don't know what happened to me. Traffic wasn't bad. I was driving my 1969 Chevrolet short base step-side pickup truck. Three on a column, straight six. Loved it. Wished I had it today. Happy as could be. By the time I got home, you people have no idea how angry I was, and my mood plummeted. I could have literally put my foot through the door. I was that angry. I had no reason but just would plummet, man, in just a few minutes, plummet. And it happened to me all the time. And I sat in my truck under the carport, sweat, wasn't air conditioned, sweat pouring down the side of my face. I sat there for probably 20, 25 minutes. Finally, Sister Murphy came out and said, are you coming in? I said, "Y'all will be in, in a minute. And I sat there, and I said, I'm not going in my house this way. Sister Murphy didn't do this. The kids didn't do it, and I'm not going to take it out on them. Not today. And I did. I walked in the house, hugged and kissed her, hugged the kids, played with the kids. But on the inside, I was raging, raging. But I've refused to let it get me. Not going there today. The next day, I woke up. I thought, that was pretty good, man. I did it. You don't know how much confidence that instilled in me. I beat it. It didn't beat me that day. I beat it. And so the next day, I beat it. And the next day, I beat it. Now, fast forward to where we are today. I haven't experienced a feeling like that in years because I determined that I can do all things through Christ. I am very passionate about this Bible study, and there's people here tonight that have this notion in your head that I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't become this, and I can't become that because something bad happened to me. And because of my mom and daddy and because of all, no, 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 no. You got Jesus on the inside of you now. You were born again. And I don't know how to scientifically figure it out, and I don't know what anybody else does. But when you were born again, you got some more chromosomes from somewhere else. And he put you in a different environment, and he gave you a new lease on life. And if you want to be better, you can do it. Start dreaming about who you want to be, and let nothing deprive you of the fulfillment of that dream. And everybody say amen. amen. Stand with me tonight. Father, we love you. I'm thankful for this incredible church, these incredible people. And you have very uniquely and very intimately wrapped your arms around this church. You've brought it here for a purpose, and you have manifested yourself more times than we can even Recall. And for every one of those moments we've spent in your presence, we're thankful. And what you have been sounding in our ear like a trumpet, the voice we hear is, You can be better. I'll make you better. Old things are passed away, and all things, all things have become new. Let this be a revelation to every person in this building tonight. Let it be understood. Help us to embrace it. Help us to live it. Give us a want to. I pray that our Holy Ghost desires would manifest themselves in us more than our flesh, more than our chromosomes, more than our circumstances, and more than our choices. You've made us a new creature. Help us to live it, to love it, and to rejoice in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Walk around and tell people tonight. I'm a new man, I'm a new woman. God bless you. You're dismissed.